This is an ABC podcast. This is Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber. From 1988, Bougainville endured a decade of horrific civil war which killed around 20,000 people. That is one in ten Bougainvillians. As a matrilineal society, women played a crucial role in organising peace. It has now been 25 years since the crisis ended and the autonomous region is now preparing for its independence from Papua New Guinea. Lani Mulnau is a self-taught filmmaker and an award-winning director from Bougainville who grew up there during the years of conflict. Lani, welcome. Thank you. Lainey, you were 10 years old when Bougainville became a conflict zone. What did your parents decide to do? Um, yes, it was a shock when the, my, um, the um, crisis came and, you know, um, we had the first pylon that went down and all this. I can remember that very clearly from um, the day that this happened. But I could always see that um, something was not right because... You could just feel as a child, you could just see that, oh, you know, all the time my mom goes out, she's very protective of us, even though it's daytime that we were in the house, um, should lock the door. And yeah, so when the, when this whole thing erupted, it was like a shock to us because then all of a sudden we had people like the army come in. The, uh, first of all, it was the police and then the army, but my parents, especially my dad, always told us in a way that we were in something interesting or something like my father. I can remember that my dad just told us, oh, we're going to go for a very long holiday. We're going to go fishing, gardening, you know, all these things, collecting fruits and nuts in the bush. That's what we're going to do. So we were so excited to pack our things up and go into the bush, not knowing, you know, it's because of this and that, that we were going into the bush in 19, like 1990. Yeah. Or 1991. Yeah. And so your parents decided to move inland to get away from the conflicts and they told you, what did they tell you? You were going on a holiday? Yes, that's what my dad told us. So, he, you know, we were, we know that you know, there was fighting around. There were, you know, bomb, bombs and um, shootouts and all these men running around with guns all around us. A lot of our friends from Papua New Guinea had already left. We know all this, but my dad kept on telling us that, no, it's like this is part of um, just telling us some story that both me and my sister Nancy used to really enjoy to see what's going to happen. And then when we hear, for example, in the night when all these um um, the bullets used to go to us like fireworks and he'd be like, let's go and stand outside in the veranda and you see all those fireworks going up. And then we'll go and then, you know, we were not scared. Yeah, but then I could see a lot of kids, a lot of people came and stayed at our house to that time to find shelter. And that was during 1989 and 1990. I can re- remember that time. And yeah, so my dad used to be very protective of us. And one thing that he did, we, we left school. There was no school, 1990, 1991. They tried to have, you know, put us to school, but then because of the conflict, we couldn't. So he used to teach me and my sister whether sun, rain, bullets firing here and there. He used to teach us every time in the morning around eight o'clock, half eight to 12 o'clock. He used to teach us, learn, teach us how to read, write and all these things. So yeah, I think that is something that really kept us, kept our our brains, our minds out of what was happening around us. And he used to get a 
some we had encyclopedias used to make me and my sister read those encyclopedias, especially like the royal family and follow their history <laughs> and who is the father of this. this? Yes, yeah, so I think that was something I, I remember a lot. And and also I think the Bible to teach us and make us um uh remember memory verses so that we can quote to each other and you know challenge each other. Yeah, so that is what my father did for us during that, you know, three or four years that we were in the in the bush. <sighs> wow, so you brought encyclopedias with you. What did life look like during those years in the bush? Um I should say that because my dad said we were going for a day, I think I really enjoyed it when we were in the bush. I had so much. Like as a kid, I'm talking as a kid. I think I wouldn't enjoy it if I was like now. I wouldn't. But as a child, I enjoyed it. I went fishing. I, you know, there was no school. I just had school from eight to twelve, and then I was free. I could go with my cousins. Go and you know, there's so much, so many things that we did when we were in the bush. But, um. I, I remember one time when I think one of my cousins gave birth when we were in the bush and she gave birth to um, my nephew and I could see that, you know, she was in a lot of, that was the first time that I knew um, how, you know, women can give birth to children and she was crying and there was so much pain and we couldn't do anything. But then she, like, you know, she gave birth to my cousin, uh, my nephew and yeah, so I was like, oh, you know, if there was a hospital, we could have, the, the older people are saying we could have brought her to a hospital. Should we t- take it to the Solomon Islands? But then, you know, it was just a night and then she gave birth to my nephew. And so I knew, I I sort of knew that, um, you know, there's so, sort of some hardship. So no medical care available. How did you eat? Where did you get food and water from? Oh, yeah, so... When we went into the bush, man, there was so much food in the bush. Like we had, um, especially here in Central Bougainville, where the gland is so fertile. We had um, what are the the, um, the bush yams? We had bush yams. We had taro gardens. There were cocoa gardens. You know the gardens everywhere. And when we wherever we went, we went and planted vegetables, and things just grew. Things just grew, and it's amazing. And like for um. Um, for meat, the rivers, there was abundance and abundant of um, crayfish, uh, prawns, crayfish, and also fish and eel. Uh, my dad used to, my dad was a really good fisherman where he used to fish out eels. So nearly we used to have eel nearly like every second night ever since when we were in the bush. So that time the rivers were very clean and, you know, pristine rivers. So we all, and also the shells, the big shells that used to um, stay in the stone, in on the stone. So in the night we used to go and look for that. And during um, the and the crayfish and yeah, the fish from the rivers. So that was, that was why we thought we were having a holiday <laughs> compared to being in the, in, in town, growing up in town and going to the supermarket or the store to buy things. And this was like going fishing with your dad and you can do everything as a family. Well, that was one thing. Everything as a family. We went and looked for food as a family. We went to fish as a family. In the night, we went to look for shells as a family. So that was something I really treasured. Um, now my mom and dad have gone, but I still treasure even as I've, you know, grown up. 
to this day. And I hope, you know, I can do that with my children and my nieces and nephews as well. While you were enjoying that life, what did you know of the fighting that was happening around you? Oh, yeah, because we were like, if you stay in Arawa town and you look up in the mountains and the stones, we were where the big stones were. So when we were there, we know all the fighting. We know when the bombs, they used to um, shoot up mortar or, um, you know, from the defense for ships, they used to shoot up to the mountains. And we knew all these things were happening. But, you know, it wasn't close to home until someone died or someone they brought up and they're like, oh, this one, this person was shot. Yeah. During that time, this person went missing. So from from my immediate family, like we had people who were shot that were shot, but went missing, and today they're still missing. Like I know that some of my cousins went to fight in Buka, but have never returned. And to this day, I don't know where they are. So you know, but as a that was as a small child, so. But still today, like I know, there's these programs happening that they're tre- retrieving bones of people who've. Um, died during the crisis and people know where they where they've planted them or oh, sorry not planted them buried them yeah and now during this time 2023 that is what is happening they're retrieving the bones but for some of us um i don't know where they've where my cousins are i think three of them um and and i think they've drowned in the book of passage or something but yeah this day i i don't know so i knew that they were missing so when they didn't come home, my dad was like, oh, they're missing. So they're missing. So missing means they can come anytime or maybe they'll come later. But, you know, to this day, they haven't come yet. And I, oh, yeah, I also had an experience. We had an experience when um, the BRA that time wanted to kill my dad. So they came and they took him. That time they were, I think, 1991, they were coming to, um, they said, um, they said they were going to wipe out all, you know, educated people or something that time. And I remember the time they came and took him and they tried to um, kill him, but it, did, it didn't work out. I think in right in front of my mom and my, sis, my sister, little sis, two little sisters, they tried to um, shoot him. But all the time they tried to pull the trigger, the trigger never worked. I don't know, but, it, you know. It just didn't happen, so they just beat him up, and they um the guy tried to shoot him with a knife, um right you know when we were looking, and that also didn't happen. Something broke that the guy's hand. I'm not sure, but that didn't happen. They just beat beat him up, and um yeah. So till 2019, when he died, he always had a problem with his jaw here, where they kicked him and they beat him up. So that also happened when I was a child. But all the time, there's always some sort of peace that is always in my heart and that my dad always puts it in our hearts. After that, in the night, he got a guitar after, you know, bleeding with all these sores and he's like, let's sing and let's praise the Lord. And, and you know, with everything. So I was like, okay, so in this time, we should sing. So we used to sing. So that is, you know, that is, I think, something that I think only my father did during the crisis that I don't think many people did that he kept trying to really protect me. And I think he loved us very much, me and my sister and both of us now, both of us are grown and we keep on telling this story and we're like, wow, he's amazing. Now, when we, when we hear stories of other people who are children during our time, we, it's, I think I can just say that I had an amazing father who, even though in the midst of death, when he, you know, he could have died, 
they could have killed him right in front of our eyes. He still got a guitar in the night and we sang with his jaw hanging, hanging out. Oh. Well, you, your father sounds like an amazing man and father. I think it's incredible what both your parents did. How do you feel about their decision to try and shelter you from that violence and take you away from it? Well, I think I think I think the decision or whatever made them do this to us or um, bring us up that way during that four years or especially five years when we were in the bush. I think it was very good because it. Um, I, I can see that a lot of our generation, you know, in their thirties now and now going to the early forties, who are very young um, during that time, are still living with some sort of trauma or some sort of. Um, yeah, trauma, I should call it. That's trauma. And they're like, you don't think that you're traumatized, but you are because of the action that some, you might go to university, you might have a degree or you might um, have a business or sometime something from the past triggers you to do some decision that is not good at present. So, or you might have some hatred or you might have something in you that makes you do something, a decision that is not good. And I think for what my father did to us, he, he sheltered us or covered us from trying to have hate in our hearts for other people or those who did bad to us. So I think the decision that he made to raise us like that when we were in the bush is very good because I can like tell you now there's so much trauma, there's so much healing that still needs to be done in Bougainville especially for children like us who've seen, like I was fortunate enough that the trigger of the gun didn't fire when they wanted to shoot my dad. But think of all my friends, all the people who now, who in government, who are in, you know, working and doing this and that for Bougainville, trying to rebuild Bougainville, but also with all the pain they, they still have. That's why I think Bougainville still needs a lot of healing to be done in order for us to move forward. I wouldn't ask, want us to move forward with all the hatred, all the pain, all the trauma that is hidden inside of people, especially in the age like 30 and 40 years old now. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Lainey, after around five years, your family left the bush. The violence was still raging. What do you remember about leaving? Um, when how we left is my mother got sick because um, in 1989, one of my last sister was born and she was born and they had to operate her with a torch. So that was during so much gunfire and there was no, um, there was blackout and um, they couldn't operate her like um, with the theater light. So had, they operated, my mom had a C-section on her with a torch. Wow. And then that affected her. I think she never showed it until when we came out to the care center that she was feeling some pain. And that is something about her too. Like she was so strong because she just had a C-section, an operation after, you know, some months and we were in the bush. So then she did all this hard work. And sometimes I think of it and I'm like, wow, she must have been through so much pain, but she never, never showed it. Never. So when we came out, she was a bit sick. So we were all already with the um, defense force, going to the care centers, and they took her out to Buka. And from there, we went out to Buka. And I think um, the Christmas or New Year of 1994 or 1995, 
we came to Ara- came back to Arawa. We were one of the first the first families to come to Arawa town. Arawa town was in a big bush when we came, and the defense force used to make us clean 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 around the the place. Yeah, so that is how we came out because my mom was sick and she had to fly out. Um, we had to go to the care center and she had to fly out to Buka. And oh yeah, and so it's like, oh my dad's like, okay, our our holiday, I think it's gonna end now. <laughs> and I think but we are going to go on a ship and me and I can remember me and she was so excited. We never never been on a ship and we're oh, we're gonna go on a ship. That's the first time to go on a we're gonna go on a ship, we're gonna go on a ship. We couldn't get wait to go on the ship and go to Buka to follow our mom who went on the helicopter. So you know, yeah. He had, oh, I don't know. He was, he's such a great man. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I remember when we came out of the bush, um, we came out of the bush. We, we came out of the bush. Um, uh, the defense force came and was speaking to the children. You know, we were children and, uh, one of them, I think it was from Milan Bay, and he used to just speak English, and he was speaking English, and he came and was speaking English to the kids, and he spoke English to me and my sister, and we spoke English back to him, and he, he was like, he was taken aback, he was surprised. <laughs> like, hey, how, how do you know how to speak English? And then we we're like, oh, we know how to speak English, and we were speaking it really well, and um, he was shocked, and then he asked some people, I think one of the uh, pastors or priests who was there, like, how do, can these two speak English? And he's like, oh, their dad teaches them every day. Yeah, so that is something that I remember, like, he was shocked. Then he used to come because we knew how to speak English. He'd come and speak to us in English and then he'll um, bring us um, um, uh, biscuits and tin fish and rice because he really wanted to tell stories with us. Uh, You're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and I'm speaking with Bougainville filmmaker Lainey Munau. Lainey, you spent years protected from the realities of the war. When did you realise what had really happened? Okay, when I realised what really happened was when I was in university, Divine Red University, and I read a book called Mothers of Our Land. It was written... Uh, co-authored by uh, Josephine Kawana and I think Marilyn Havini and some other women, like I can remember Marcelin Tunim and some other women who had written this book. And I read the whole book in one sitting in a library. So it's a quite a thick book. And I couldn't believe what they've gone through. I couldn't believe that this was happening. You know, some of the things, the killings and what they suffered and, man, that really broke my heart. Um, you know, like um, like for Marceline Tunim, I can really remember her story. Her brother was killed at the roadblock where the um, right squad had done a roadblock and they just picked him out and they killed him just because he was a young man and he was maybe um, they saw him as a BRA. And that really broke my heart. And then for someone else, you know, people who were, you know, nearly raped and women who suffered and children who died and women who died during childbirth and I and I knew this women like I personally knew this and I'm like were we in the same war did we go through because I know that they were hiding in that place that side of the mountain when we were on that side and oh like what and so when I came back home I asked my father I asked my dad were we in the same war where were we what what happened and he just smiled at me he didn't say anything he just smiled and he said you know 
God protected us. God looked after us. We trusted him. That's why we were we were okay, and he he looked after us. That's all he said. But you know, I really wanted to know more. And then, then like coming, uh, uh, going to university, and then seeing these women do this work now, you know, like Sister Lorraine, what's Josephine Kawana does, what Marcelo Tunim does. These are amazing, and I'm, I, I see them as role models now because they've gone so through so much pain, but yet they can still ask for peace, and that yet they can still broker for peace. You know, people like Sister Lorraine, you know, um, here we have um, chief women like Tris Jane Tong, you know, who we really look after, I look up to, and the women who've been through so much, but yet they can show forgiveness and then want Bougainville to move on. And I think women of Bougainville are amazing. They are amazing, and because we, we now live in peace because of the women of Bougainville. Even though they've been through so much, they've asked for nothing bad, and they just want to work towards peace. And that is something that I really admire about them. And I also admire people like my dad who've, who've tried their best to look after their children. And for us to become who we are today is because of how we were brought up. And I think the crisis has thought taught so many people so much. And I hope people don't forget what the crisis has taught them, you know, and we don't repeat this again. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I think I knew more about what was happening through that book. Yeah. Lenny, you studied to become a filmmaker. One of the documentaries you directed was about Sister Lorraine, who you mentioned. She played a central role in bringing peace to Bougainville. What did it mean to you to share her story? Oh, it to me to share Sister Lorraine's. I mean, you know, I read the book. I she also had a story there, but you know, for me it was so. Um, it was like a dream come true because I love to do film and to tell a story for for a Bougainvillean to tell a Bougainvillean story about a powerful Bougainville woman, a woman um, that that really inspired me, you know, and that, and from her story and from her, you know, when we do interviews, it's a long interview, but because of film time, we have to shorten it, but she's told us so much about what was happening, all the injustice that was happening before the crisis. And then that also answered some of my questions about seeing my mom being not too secure when we were in our own home. Mm. And yes, so that, um, having an interview with her also filled so many gaps in my own life, in my own questions that, you know, because asking my dad, he would just smile, you know, and say, you know, God looked after, but I really needed some more things to be filled up, you know, questions to be answered. And I think Sister Lorraine did that when we did the interview with her. With her. And then doing a movie about her and having that movie won so many, so many awards internationally. And, you know, I also get got recognized, um, through this film, you know, being the director of this film, and people now knew me as Lenny Muna, the filmmaker from yeah. Bougainville, and I thank God, I thank Sister Lorraine for her story, and I thank, I think, the Centre for Social and Creative Media, which is at the University of Goroka, for giving me the opportunity that I could tell that story. And I think the director, the producer of the films was Dr. Verena Thomas, and she encouraged me so much to continue to tell and dig up the stories from Bougainville and especially, you know, what an amazing woman to record Sister Lorraine, yeah. An incredible film as well. Now that you know the true history of the Civil War, how important is it to you to share that history and its impacts? Oh, yeah, um, I think 
Now, that is what I am doing right now. I mean, especially with the children now, the children who have not been the crisis, but are, you know, uh, can feel the aftermath of the crisis, not living a full life that um, we we knew about when we were children. So that's what I'm doing. And I think because of COVID, <laughs> COVID came and um, shut out most, most of the, not most, but nearly all of what we were doing. We came to a total hold. I have a small production back in Bovin called Voice in the Wilderness. It's Voice in the Wilderness. And we do a lot of stories, especially participatory video making and um, trying to get stories, especially native stories that turn out positive and seeing that these stories can cause social change. Um, but just by us going into the communities, teaching people how to take photos, teaching people how to do short videos where they can share themselves, not necessarily on social media, but share it through, I say, the grassroots method of sharing videos here in Bowie, Bluetooth, WhatsApp. This year, we're just trying to get on our feet again. Lainey, what inspired your passion to work behind the camera? Okay, what what inspired my passion to work work with the camera? I should also say, um, when when we were in the bush and coming out, my my and when um, there were all these people running around with guns, and my dad teaching us the Bible and the encyclopedias, he used to say, you know, the the pen is what what is the the pen is stronger than the more powerful than the gun. The pen is more powerful than the gun. That is a, so he said, you know, you can write these stories and a lot of people, he used to tell us about, you know, these books and these uh, people in history. It's like, you know, these people, we couldn't have known them if people hadn't written a story about them. See, and now you can know about, you know, I know King Henry the Fifth, or, you know, all these people were, you know, that were in the encyclopedia, or, or the dinosaurs, you know, stegosaurus, whatever. These were written, that's why we know them now. So he used to tell us that. And when we were coming out, then he knew that I re- I love cartoons and animation and stuff like that. And he used to tell me, you can also learn how to animate, animate these stories. And then, you know, then everyone will watch when, when we came out to Buka and we used to watch a lot of videos. And he said, you know, you can also make videos and tell the stories that you've written. And that, that, and when I heard about that and I see how the films and the videos that we've seen, you know, on VHS used to inspire us as kids to, um, um, you know, uh, do what the characters we love used to do. And I'm like, you know, why don't, if I do videos, and then I could tell my stories through moving pictures because, you know, yes, I do love reading, but I also love watching videos. And I think it's more easier to watch than to read. <laughs> so then I um, I got the idea that I wanted to do film or become a journalist or something that uh, I could know how to hold a camera and tell my story. Lainey, you also made a film explaining the independence referendum to people and you've dabbled in politics yourself. What are your hopes for Bougainville? Oh, my hopes for Bougainville, yes, any Bougainville, maybe. My hopes for Bougainville is one day Bougainville will become an independent country, will become an independent nation. I hope my hope for Bougainville is one day Bougainville will raise its flag. But uh, my hope for Bougainville is that Bougainville goes into becoming an independent nation as a very, you know, clean, um, going into becoming independent on a clean clean slate, meaning all the hatred, all the jealousy, all everything, all the trauma must not be carried on to um, 
the new Bougainville that we dream or envision of having. So whatever, you know, I, I think it's a long cry, but people really have to change within in order for us to have a good independent country. We might have an independent nation, but with going to become independent is everything that we've been through and everything we're con continue to going through. I don't think um, Bougainville will stand very strong. We might be independent, but it will be might be a weak nation. So we have to have a healthy nation, both physically, spiritually, mentally, socially. Finally, what role do you want your films to play in healing? Oh, my! I want my films to make people to discuss. There's so many social issues that are happening, and I hope my film can touch. My films can touch on those issues, maybe just a bit, but people have to discuss. And not, you know, sweep the problem underneath a rug and say that we are Bougainville, we are okay. No, I want my films to expose what is out there and also to try to make people think and fix what is what is still yet to be fixed and what is still yet to be healed. Yeah. Lainey, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your journey. Thank you very much, Bobby. That was Bougainville filmmaker Lainey Munau. You can find her films Voice of Change and Peter and Grace Make a Difference online. You've been listening to Stories from the Pacific. I'm Bobby McCumber. To catch more great stories about incredible people from the Pacific, just search for ABC Pacific. This story was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people.